0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. Be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle, at SXM Business, as well as my handle, at Laura Zarrow. New episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, and our full catalog of past shows are available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search on Laura Zarrow and Women at Work to find us. My guest today has said that the American dream is accessible to anybody and she's got the resume to prove it. At the stage of life that we casually call mid-career, Karen Richardson has already accomplished more than many do in a lifetime. President of KRB Strategies, Karen is an eight-year veteran of the Obama administration. She served as Associate Director of Public Engagement Advisor for the White House Office of Public Engagement and Intergovernmental Affairs, and before and she did that before she joined the U.S. Department of State as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Public affairs. Karen's work has included messaging for the historic passage of the Affordable Care Act, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, in addition to the Department of State's first ever entertainment industry initiative. In 2017, Karen transitioned to the private sector, bringing her expertise to the startup phase of the seminal Time's Up campaign and the Grammys Task Force on Diversity and Inclusion she earned her master's at the london school of economics and her undergraduate and jd from howard university and if that's not enough for you she speaks four languages one of them is english and has one child with another on the way so karen welcome to women at work thank you for making time for us oh thank you so much laura for having me it's wonderful and an honor to
0: be here thank you so much
1: so karen your career is so interesting that i'm wondering to what degree did it unfold organically? Or when you were like 15 years old, did you say, <laughs> I know what I wanna do and this is the path and I'm gonna get there?
0: No, not at all. I think that, um, you know, if you, I started out wanting to be, to, to be a lawyer. Um, and I always talk about, you know, I always talk about just, you know, especially when I talk to young people about, did you always know where you wanted to be? I was always very, I think, determined. Um, and I was always focused, but I did not plan my career the way it's unfolded. Um, It has been a very sort of roundabout route, (laughs) Um, and partially because I've always been very open to to the different things that have sort of come my way, but, you know, in the process of just make sure that I just stayed the course and stayed focused, um, but no, I did not, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to how things unfolded, how they, how they did. It was just kind of, Um, being prepared for the moments that came uh, and the opportunities that came towards me.
1: I love that you use the term that you were determined because one of the things that I want to ask about is ambition. Um, Because it sounds like, while you couldn't have imagined you'd be working for the State Department or in the White House. um, You knew you wanted to get somewhere and you had drive. All too often, though, for girls and particularly girls of color, ambition doesn't always get cultivated. How did, when did yours surface and how did it get supported along the way? Right, I mean, I
0: think that, um, you know, when I look back to the people and how it's been supported, um, you know, I had like the ambition to make sure that I was doing the best I could wherever I was. That's as probably as far as as it went. I mean, I had different goals. I had, okay, I'm gonna go to law school. And then I, I might practice law but I really took everything every step and stage um you know as it sort of came um and didn't have you know so when I say ambition like if I was going to be taking a class I wanted to make sure I was doing well in it so it was really just kind of an incremental goal setting I would say as opposed to just like here's where I want to be in 10 years so and I think yeah so I, I think that really helped because um you know, because I think that there's a, there's a certain amount of pressure. If you put on yourself, you know, fairly early on, especially, you know, for example, I didn't know like exactly what I wanted to do from the very beginning. That was not the case, for example, from my father who knew from the age of five that he wanted to be a doctor. He just knew it. And he's still a doctor. You know, he's, you know, over the age of 70 and still practicing and still plans to do that. That was not the case, (laughs) plans (laughs) to do that for immortality, you know, but for me, it didn't really happen that way. It was really setting incremental goals about where I was in that moment. And then going from there, the way that it was supported was through my parents um, and also mentors. Um, I, you know, had, I was very fortunate and even till this day to cultivate relationships um, from, from the time I even entered school. I had teachers and and people who I still keep in touch with um, because as you know, like throughout all of our life, we're always, there's all these twists and turns and you think that you're at like one place and then all of a sudden you're sort of catapulted to another direction and you still need a little bit of support and direction. So it was really just being supported by the mentors and teachers and family members. Um, and extended family members throughout my entire life that has really helped support me in everything that I have done in the directions that I've taken in my career and and actually also personal life.
1: Karen, there's a bunch of things in this that I really love hearing. Um, I'm at a slightly different stage of life, I'd say late middle age, and (laughs) um, a lot of my peers have this moment where they stop and say, how did I get here? Where do I go next? Um, And I see younger people struggling with how do I know where I want to go? And... The people I know who are happiest are the ones who, like you said, were prepared. And, and when opportunities presented themselves, yeah. they were able to have the courage and the skill set necessary to jump in and seize those moments. And right. as opposed to, um, and especially the people who, unlike your dad, said yeah. at five, I'm going to go be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And then they follow that path for so long and wind up there and aren't happy. And so okay. it sounds like you were not just successful in getting to places you couldn't have imagined. Is it safe to say you've been happy?
0: Oh, I yes, for sure. I mean, you know, and not to say that, like, there haven't been, you know, just curveballs and things that have been, but but by and large, like, I think through every stage of the process, um, you know, the decisions that I have made um, have definitely I think I would definitely say that I was happy in those decisions yeah I don't really look back to say and I think partially it's that you know it's following sort of like a the things that I've been prepared to do and then also going with my gut and what I really know is the right thing to do Um, I think that I just sort of learned early for whatever reason that if I wasn't happy doing it Um, and, you know, and then there's some things, I mean, some, there are some things you have to do and not be happy doing them. So there are, you know, so it's a mixed bag, right? So like, you know, so not to say that everything is just all roses because you have to do some things you don't want to do and all the time. So that's part of the process and that's part of the journey. But I mean, by and large, those things that you, you know, that will sort of stay with you for a long time, like that's kind of a different that's kind of a different analysis, you know, in my view sometimes. Um, but yes, by and large, I think sticking, sticking to that formula is, <laughs> I think has worked has worked for me. And even the things that, you know, that were a little harder along the way, um, you know, just like I said, when I say if there were any twists and turns, like those were so instructive to getting me to a happy place. But I do think that just sticking to what my core beliefs are and what I feel like, you know, I'm happy doing, Um, serves not only me well, but the people that I have been working for as well.
1: So Karen, I want to dial into what I think, what I'm going to guess was one of the first important fork in the road decisions in honor of all of the kids who are making a choice by May 1st about where they go to college. That decision is in the air and it's around us. And you went to Howard University. What made Mm -hmm. you choose Howard? Laura, you know, this could
0: be a, its own like conversation, an hour long conversation in and of itself. Um, but the short of it is that I have a really long legacy of, of graduates of Howard in my family. Um, that's where my parents met. Um, you know, my mother was captain of the cheerleaders team. My father was captain of the football team, and they were both pre med at the same time there. You know, my aunts went there. Um, my grandfather had taught there. Um, so I had a lot of family that went to Howard and, you know, my sister, so we were all born there. So we were born in Washington, D.C. Okay.
1: Um,
0: father was um, working at Walter Reed. He was doing his, you know, he did his medical degree at Howard University law, I mean, med school. And then he went to Walter Reed. And so we were all, my sisters and I, like we were all born at in, 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 in the Walter Reed Hospital. So we were going back to D.C. a lot because we had family there. And, um, and we, you know, and I was there for about like two or three years until my parents relocated us um, back to Los Angeles, which is where my father is from. So I would say, you know, just Howard was kind of in my blood already. Clearly. Um, you know, every time we went back to DC, I mean, there was, you know, we were, you know, we were old enough. We were at homecoming. They would just, you know take us through, even when we were living in los angeles they would take us back and take us through the neighborhoods here is the first house here is our first thing like, so it really was in our blood so by the time that i decided to go to howard um you know and it was never an expectation by the way so i know so there are a lot of people who say oh there's you have so much legacy at howard but it was really not an expectation in fact you know they're like let's let's just sort of like look at the gamut of schools that are available but um you know there's some, some opportunities but uh, my sister who was about two, two and a half years older than, than, than I am, um, she also went to Howard. So by the time that I got there, I was a freshman, she was a senior and I was like, well, Kim is the smartest person I know. And I used to go and visit her as well. So it just felt like because of the historical legacy of the school um, and understanding that really at an early age, what Howard would be able to provide for me both academically and personally, it was the right choice and still and still till this day, um, so much pride being a Howard alum, Howard University alum, actually twice, Howard Law as well. I was gonna say, <laughs> so, like, you didn't just yeah. go for undergraduate, <laughs> you stuck around and got your law degree there. I did, I did, I did. And I have so much, you know, appreciation for, again, just, you know, the not just the academics, but just what Howard prepares you to do personally when you come out, because for me, again, like, there is you know there is the academics that we are all going to get to in to a certain degree but what is that other thing that's going to help catapult you to survive and and to really excel just not just not professionally but personally and and, and I attribute much um, of Howard for being able to do that for me.
1: <laughs> if you were going to sum it up quickly, and I, I know I didn't, you know, it's kind of thing you could, you'd probably love to think about for a little while and share. <laughs> Aside from the academics, what were those things that it gave you that you've carried that have helped propel you and sustain you when you needed it?
0: I think there's a certain resolve and a pride and, and a confidence that you have, you um, You know, I was fortunate to really have a a solid family foundation, so, um, you know, coming up. um, And so there was always a certain level of confidence, but I think when it got to Howard, just understanding um, the history in a different way um, and understanding the things I was reading in a different way um, that really helped kind of give me a framework about the world and about my place in the world. And it, it, it was something that just formulated and solidified when I got to Howard. I was like, okay, I get this now. <laughs> Although, you know, years later, I'm still like, oh, right. I'm still getting it. <laughs> I mean, still like You're never done saying that you're getting it, but you know, it was a, you know, very, very, very key sort of chapter in my life. But, um, but again, it was just the confidence and the pride and just understanding I think the world the in the world in a way that has really sustained me um and in a way where I feel like I was able to, to to navigate situations and understandings and a way of thinking too um I was only reinforced also when I got to law school
1: and how much and I think that's one of the gifts of higher in general is that it does teach us how to think and that the cultures sure. and the communities we're in really shape that yes and, and you didn't just go from Howard undergrad to Howard Law School. It then was not a lot of time between then and the White House. So talk to me how you got Mm -hmm. involved in the Obama campaign and how you started working there. Yeah, I, you
0: know, I went straight from, you know, Howard Undergraduate School, Howard Law School, you know, I know that there are a lot of, you know, a lot of students these days who might take gap years or things, but, you know, but it was sort of like, it was already in my head. I'm not going to take any breaks. I'm going to go straight from one thing to the next and the next to the next. So, I also, in the middle of it, went to the London School of Economics to get my international relations degree, my master's in international relations. Okay. So, so clarify uh, yeah. this for me. Was that in between
1: your JD no. and
0: your undergrad? No. So, I went from Howard undergrad, Howard law, the London School of Economics and Political Science. Then that's how I ended up in, a, in Senator Obama's office.
1: Okay. Right, a- right
0: after that. So, it was not a lot of time, but the the trajectory and timeline for the for the sake of just of not <laughs> the sake of making this short is that it was Howard University undergrad Howard Law London School of Economics Senator Obama's office in 2005 starting as an intern and after that everything just unfolded from there until 2017 <laughs> when we came out of the
1: administration Okay so I'm gonna I want to know about this this process of so you're at the London School of Economics which with the full name is Economics and Political, political science. science.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. But so, it's like, you know, the, the acronym is not LSEP, it's like just LSE. <laughs> right.
1: But I'm saying this because this is important because yeah. you did not jump onto Wall Street. You jumped into the political world, into mm-hmm. into government and service because it was with Obama once he was already a senator, correct? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. What made you decide to go that route? Because it's clearly not about making money.
0: No, no, no. At that point, I knew that. Um, you know, so when I got to LSC, I was real. I thought I was going to be Condoleezza Rice. I saw Condoleezza Rice (laughs) on television and, you know, and so, and, you know, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, all of these people who looked like me who were doing international affairs. So, you know, I went on to the State Department website and I said, okay, so here's the ambassador. This person has their master's in I.R." I said, okay, guess I'm going to be the perpetual student and go get my master's in international relations. And then I wanted to do, um, and I really had an idea that I really wanted to sort of pursue an international career, one way or the other, whether it was working for the State Department of the United Nations. but, um, but. I think that what's underpinning all of it is that just wanting to be involved in something much bigger than myself, and that is in some way of service. I didn't know, I, you know, it's funny because it's not like, you know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a good while, you know, I was doing internships there and I was doing, I was in school there, but it's not like I had this, um, I knew that I was going to go into the U.S. government as a form of service. So, um, so when I was finishing my stinted over at, at UNICEF because that's where I was living. So I went to, oh, well, I finished LSC, then I moved to Italy to work for the UN after I graduated. Okay. And then, um, and as I was sort of preparing to come back to the US for six months before I wanted to continue on and do some field work with the UN, somebody said there is a great new guy and he just won the US Senate seat and you'll love it he's from, you know, he's got roots in Kenya. And I was like, yes, <laughs> right? So I, you know, so I was following it while I was in Italy at the time. Um, but so I applied for the internship and then, and, I, and then I got accepted into the internship and that rest, the rest is history. So, you know, what was supposed to be a two month or six month internship, like I was, they'd asked me to, to remain on a staff. So that's how I ended up there. But the calculation was was that I got to see as I was, you know, planning for um, an international career of some sort. Um, but being able to, you know, he was on the Foreign Relations Committee at the time, so you know, he he came in in two thousand and five in January, and then I came in in August. So that's that's the timeline there. And so, you know, it was just an interesting time to be there to sort of see U.S. foreign policy from that perspective especially as I was just getting out of the school and also just finishing you know you know um you know a stint with the unit with the United Nations and just sort of seeing it from that perspective and getting a sense of what's happening on Capitol Hill and then also just you know being able to work for somebody and understanding who he was Um, you know our staff wasn't as large as the white house staff, you know, so, you know, cause that's, you know, this next place, but it was an opportunity to understand who I was working for And I always feel like if I'm working for a cause and a person that I can believe in that I'm always probably gonna lead with that. It just can't, you know, I may not have all the money in the world, but um, you know, but that, and that's okay too. And, and, you know, and if I had decided to go into wall street cause you know, that's something that people decided to too that's, that's, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, don't begrudge anybody to do that, but for me, I was like, okay, I can. These issues he's really focused on. He's focused on foreign relations. He's focused on energy and the environment. He's focused on national. All of these things, and then being able to see it up close and personal um, was a real gift. Um, and um, and that's how that's ex- exactly how I ended up working for started working for him and started actually my life of service.
1: So. Karen, one of the things that's really striking me is that you've moved both by virtue of the work that you do, and it's the subject of the work that you do, but also the the environment in which you do the work into many different kinds of cultures, whether it's the cultures of different countries, the cultures of different types of offices and different teams. How do you navigate that? somewhere in this process you had to have, was it instinctive? Did somebody coach you? How did you learn to understand and adapt and operate within these different environments? It's a good question. And I think that,
0: you know, you have to approach it all with a sense of humility, I think. Um, and I, I actually really, you know, cause for example, you know, as you're growing up. I was also just very curious about people. So I really wanted to understand people, understand different cultures, did a lot of reading. I traveled when I could, which is probably what drove me to want to do international work is to sort of understand how the world comes together and how the ways in which we're similar and the ways in which we're different turns out we're so much more similar than we are different. And the thing in terms of the things that we that make us happy, the things that really fulfill us in life, there's really not that much difference. So um, so I think there is something that you get as, a, you know, as, as an understanding of people in different cultures and understanding it, and you have to approach it with a certain humility. So when you're traveling, you know, I did a lot of traveling um, before I settled into work and I always, you know, whether it was, I would always use either an opportunity of like a spring break to make that educational. Right. And when I would travel, I didn't want to just travel as a tourist; and wanted to get to know the people. So like you know, so, you know, I actually did a couple of study abroad. I moved to Italy one year, I moved to South Africa, you know, when I was in law school to do the international program there. And then when I was there, I was always making friends with local people so I could really understand what was happening in people's lives and on the ground. So I understood the culture. So I think that approaching that with humility and with a sense of curious, to, to be curious about it is helpful in understanding that. Because if you don't, you come in about with a certain framework about how things should be done and you're not really understanding and getting a sense of, of, of who people are and cultures are. So there's that aspect. And then I think that um, you know, there are certain things that you learn in different environments and, it, and, it, and it's not just one place, you, know, you grow up in a certain environment. So my high school and my, my entire grade school through high school, it was sort of a different kind of thing when I went to Howard, I was the only African-American you know, black woman in my class basically from kindergarten through senior year now you had a couple of different you know maybe like I was like one of five or something like that so that's one way of understanding the world and then you get to Howard and then there's a whole other understanding because you are in classes with you know a lot of you know obviously it's historically black institution um, but you also have like West Indians, you have a lot of different other cultures there as well. So I just think my entire life, looking at it as I'm talking to you through this, it's like every single one of these pieces like helped me understand um, in a way and helped me navigate different environments. So when you get into the sort of professional world, um, it, it really, I think served me well to be helped to, to, navigate, to navigate my way through. So that is, that, that is the, that's how I sort of see how I was prepared. Um, through just through the way that I grew up and also the way that I feel like I learned to approach things.
1: It, I love that you, as you were describing, you started with humility, which is the sign of a humble person, um, yeah. but also that uh, driving curiosity to learn about other people and understand them. Sure. Seemed like it yeah. was equally important. As you um, as it stopped being about other countries or other communities, but actually workplaces, Working on different teams, going into a senator's office, going into the mm-hmm, White House, going mm-hmm. into the State Department. Mm-hmm. Even though that senator's office, that White House, and that State Department are all aligned. Yeah. I have to imagine they all have different cultures within them. One hundred percent.
0: Like so, you know, for example, you know, the State Department is a is very hierarchical. Um, in a good way. I mean, it's a bureaucracy, so you
1: have, so there has to be a way
0: to function. You know, it's right. it's, it's, it's a massive bureaucracy, so there has to be a way to. A necessity, right? And a necessity, and you know, and one of my bosses, who is just he was, he's just incredible. He's um, his name was actually. I mean, I have to say this. All of my, I was really, really fortunate to work for some pretty amazing people. Um, you know, but like the White House, it's also hierarchical, but it was different because you are, the the teams are smaller, you're reporting directly, you know, depending on where you are, like, you know, you're also reporting, you're reporting directly to, you know, maybe your immediate like advisor. So it's a much smaller area of of navigating the, the hierarchy there and bureaucracy there to a certain extent. Then you go to an agency such as the State Department and you have your you know, assistant secretary of state then you have your principal deputy assistant secretary and after that you have your deputy assistant secretary of state and then all the way up and down that kind of thing so it's just a different culture and you have a lot of um people who are foreign service officers and civil servants so you know again when i say you you um you know you go into a place in you know, approaching it from a from a place of humility it, I could have gone from the White House and gone to the State Department and just been like, oh, I know everything. Right? You know, <laughs> okay, Exactly. But it wasn't that I mean, I understood very intrinsically that like, you know, the people who are working at the State Department have so much respect till this day, I would, you know, I just I, I just, I, I have no words to sort of explain the level of gratitude that I have for the people who are working, you know, at the State Department, all federal agencies, but my experience at the State Department, and just understanding, you know, what you can learn from them um, who've been there, and um, and and it's, it's just a little bit more of a formal environment, so you understand that, and then I, I the reason I mentioned my boss, who's John Kirby at the time, you know, he's also you know, comes from like military background as well. And so like, there was a certain sort of understanding there, um, you know, how that also like informed how our office was structured and channels of communications and things. So that happens in great. so, but that, again, that's just one other context that I think is just important um, and formed sort of the, the way that I, you know, I was able to sort of work there too, so.
1: So before the break, we were talking about is really, um, moved and interested in how you were talking about the ways that you've learned to navigate culture over time, culture changes, whether it's between um, the distinct difference of being on the the relatively small team of the White House versus the enormous structured bureaucracy of the State Department, um, or whether it's the many countries that you lived in and cities that you've lived in. Um, One of the things that your work seems to always have as part of its backbone is not just moving from culture to culture, but within them, building coalitions, bringing people together to get things done. Um, And you're also really a strategic leader, a strategic planner. How do you make sure that you're seeing the big picture and connecting the little pixels all at once? And especially when that's about the people that you're trying to bring together to affect change. That's a really good question. I think that,
0: you know, cause I still, I think that like, I, I get asked this question sometimes because there's something that happens in my brain where like I'm talking to different people and I have all these things and then all these, all of a sudden it starts to shuffle around and make sense into a chart of some sort. It's so, <laughs> great. and I think part of it is just like, is just, is actually just schooling for one thing. I think that, you know, I, because of the way that I think I was trained and trained to think and the skills that I got from a very, because again, I mentioned my teachers, like they're, you know, I was very fortunate to have teachers that invested in me really early on and taught me a sense of certain tools and skills to have. I really can't emphasize that more enough because I think that has a lot to do with where I feel like my mind is able to process things and pull things together. Um, and then I will go in and along those lines as well is, you know, just law school. Um, I think that law school, um, you know, well an undergraduate school, I was also an English major. So just being able to take, and I, that, was, that was also by design. I wanted to go to school to read as much as I can. And then, you know, once you do so I was English, an English major, history minor, and then went straight to law school. Like, so it taught me really early to take a lot of information and synthesize it when you need to, because, you know, yes, you can do your, um, you know, you'll, you'll have like a, you know, a semester of classes, but when it comes down to your exams, like, they're not going to just want you to write one thing on like William Faulkner, like, just, right. you know what I mean? Like, okay. So like, you can't just, you, you can just like, you know, I did spend an entire semester going through like Ralph, Ralph Ellison's, but I am, but no, but I think that that's just one aspect of it is like, is how I sort of. Wanted to kind of curate like my academic and the skills that I wanted to, to to have, and then translate that to, you know, to what I understand. I think about people that I still learn um, and being able to, to navigate culture in different environments, and then coming to, um, and then coming to the sort of the work that I have been doing, and then the work that I continue to do. So I think the combination of those things have been able to help me take a lot of information and synthesize it in a way where I think strategically about big picture and how things can come together and it's like I love doing it (laughs) It, it's sort of like it's like it's like you're forever having like these aha moments I was like right so this goes there that goes there and I'm a big charts person so I'm one of those people who will be like connecting the dots I'll draw it on a thing and like I'm just a charts person too so anyway it's very nerdy and it's uninteresting but since
1: we're Since we're doing this in the medium of radio, I need to share with our listeners that as Karen's talking and she's talking about these ideas, her hands are gesticulating over her head (laughs) in the air. And I have to say, Karen, I totally relate because I think... Like in my brain is a constant whiteboard and a really insightful designer, who's a friend of mine, Jeff Demasi, explained this notion to me of cloud thinking and that there are Mm -hmm. people, particularly strategic planners where ideas are popping up in what literally feels like the space above your head. And that the ability to envision multiple things at once is probably part of your magic, not to mention this phenomenal education you've received.
0: And that is there is there is a term for it cloud thinking. Thank you, Laura.
1: You're <laughs> welcome. We'll, well thank Jeff. And if you find <laughs> out more Jeff. about it, send it my way too. Because absolutely for those of us absolutely. who are carrying the mental yeah. whiteboards with us. Yeah, yeah. But aside from that gift, yeah. I want to now drill into something because the. All that reading, and clearly it involved, as you're saying, everything from Ralph Ellison to law and policy, right, Is yeah. some of it's about how our world works, and some of it is, is about understanding people. And in building coalitions, mm-hmm. um, I'm imagining it's almost equal parts of two. There's policy and content, but it's also how you work with individuals who have very different agendas and come from very different places. For sure, I
0: mean, and that is, you know, that is true kind of like everywhere, particularly in the work that I have done. I mean, for example, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I worked in the White House Office of Public Engagement, and Intergovernmental Affairs in the Obama administration. And, you know, I was managing the portfolio for the Affordable Care Act and passing health reform and also, you know, the national security portfolio for the, for the team as well. So you can imagine that when if your if your primary responsibility is to be able to build coalitions build people along the way um, and bring people along the way in the policies that you are promoting and, and, and hoping to implement, then you're dealing with a lot of different interests and things. So I, you know, so that is a huge Part of it is understanding. Okay, so you have your provider groups, you have your youth groups, and not everybody. You have your insurance companies, you have your insurance groups. So you have a whole gamut of people that you're talking to, and having to understand their perspective um, is, is I think like is is part of like is part of you know, of how you're going to be able to bring people together and bring coalitions. You have to understand where everyone is coming from. And again, you have to go into it with a, with an understanding is it like that you're not going to come in there with some preconceived ideas about what you think they should be thinking, but to be able to say that here is what their position is and bringing it back, like that is like, I think such a, a key piece of being able to to build the coalition piece and bring people along. And even if, you know, at the end of the day, people don't all agree on what, on what the sort of end result is. I do feel like people um, appreciate being engaged and brought along in the process, because a lot of the times it's not about where you end up, although it's a lot, that's a lot, that's a lot part of it. It's very much a part of it, especially for people who feel passionate about the work that they're doing, but understanding it's about consensus. And you also sort of see that on the Hill, right? So, you know, on Capitol Hill, for example, it's the it's the compromising piece. There's just, you know, we may have wanted like a public option, you know, you know, for the Affordable Care Act, but that didn't happen, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, so just understanding, and I think just, you know, the it's it's the compromising piece that you understand that happens um, in politics when you're trying to pass bills, when you're trying to pass legislation. That like all that process to me is very similar in terms of compromising. Um, and, and bringing people along the way um, and, ha- and just really going in there with the, with a certain mindset and understanding of what their interests are.
1: Um, the amazing person that I'm talking to, for those of you who are just hearing her voice, is Karen Richardson. Um, she is she was a former Obama administration staffer and the president of KRB Strategies. I'm Laura Zara and this is Women at Work on Business Radio and Sirius XM channel 132. So Karen, as you're talking about this, um, walking in, like coming to groups that have diverse interests, um, diverse perspectives, diverse needs, they're anchored in different realities and um, uh, entering into a process where there's clearly a goal and you're trying to help make sure if I'm hearing you right, that everyone is heard. They understand the process. um, They're involved in negotiations so that even when it doesn't result in what they're looking for, they know that their voice was part of the process. Mm -hmm. Is it too far a stretch for me to connect the dots then to the work that you were doing, say, with the Grammys on d Because it sounds like some of the same skills and, and approaches are probably relevant. 100%. I mean, I still see it till this day, because, you know, in my consulting
0: work, you know, the way I sort of see it is that a lot of the issues that I was working on in, in, in government, I just continue to work on outside of government. So, you know, we've had elections, obviously, in the, in the middle of the last <laughs> year, yet it's other primaries and generals and and, and, and and the work doesn't stop, it continues. And so even if you're talking about a bill such as, you know, um, the George Floyd justice and policing, let's just say mm-hmm. that bill, right. So but it, you know, there are always things that you're gonna like about something and then some things that you're gonna, you're not gonna think they went far enough. You're gonna think, or oh, it goes too far. So you're always in this, in this, in this area of trying to understand, you know, where you can where you can get compromised. And I do think that my experience in government really taught me that. Um, I think that I would have had a different understanding of that had I not gone into government in the different areas of government that I went into. My experience in Capitol Hill, my experience in the White House and at the State Department, you know, which is apolitical, you know, but right. um, um but 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 that no it's not too far stretched to say that at all because it's still in forms of work that I'm doing because also you know as you mentioned I don't know if if you mentioned you know my work with Times Up so working on safety yeah, so whether I'm working on safety and equity in the workplace, whether I'm working on the you know diversity, equity, inclusion campaign for the Grammys task force, I find that all in then my political work that still continues it is the same process and it's the sort of same understanding that you that you get in terms of where where can we meet in the middle like where can we find something where we can like move forward on the issue it may not be as aggressive it may not be as progressive as people would like maybe it doesn't go far enough maybe maybe it goes too far but where can we meet in the middle so we can actually get something done.
1: So I want to tap into another piece of connective tissue that I think is between your time in the White House, actually starting in Senator Obama's office and then moving into the White House, and now your work on things like Time's Up. And that's this network of Tina Chen and Valerie Jarrett, these extraordinary mm-hmm. people, particularly women, who um, were central to those environments. Talk to me, and we've had the great honor of having Valerie and (laughs) Tina on the show who talked with tremendous affection and emphasized the importance of the mentorship they tried to provide to all the young women who were working with them. You got to be the recipient of that. What was it like on the other side? Talk to me a little bit about what it meant to be mentored and how those relationships have carried forward.
0: Yes, I mean, I think that, you know, I was very fortunate, as you mentioned, to work um, with Tina and Valerie. Um, And, you know, it was a very sort of obviously professional environment, but there were times where, you know, there were opportunities, whether they were, you know, through, side conversations, you know, or just even like, you know, if they wanted to talk to just the staff and just have like an open conversation. So there were different ways of, of, of having conversations and building relationships through your professional relationship with them. And they're very giving of their time. Um, and also it helps that they're also just so genuinely interested in your well-being. Um, and, um, and so I always felt like, you know, <laughs> I always felt like, I could be able, for example, to go to either one of them because you know I did feel like there was that 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 relationship there, and also just the interest in wanting because I think they understand and of course they talk about this all the time, of like the importance of setting the tone and investing in mm-hmm. and, and you know former first lady Michelle Obama talks about it as well, um, you know, and that actually I think was a culture you know a lot through the Obama White House in in my view um, because you also had. You know, Susan Rice was there at the mm-hmm. time and Samantha Power was there at the time. And so I really felt there was a, a, there was a culture through there. And of course the first lady had her mentoring initiative as well, which I was a part of. So not only, you know, so I think because of the understanding that Valerie and Tina and the first lady, all of them are setting the tone throughout the white house. So for example, that we understand as well that we're going to be doing the same people for the people who are coming up behind us. Yes. And so I continue to do mentoring um, um, as well. And even till now, because I understand intrinsically because I had great I had great role models and, you know and I still keep in touch with like Tina for until this day, you know, it's just, um, you know just through the birth of my first child and, you know, professionally and personally like, you know, they just remain, um, you know committed and just, um, and just Wonderful human beings that I feel like, you know, I could turn to. And I know it's just not unique to me. I know a lot of my, you know, friends and former colleagues feel the same way, Um, you know, that there's a sustaining force there and that we were all really, you know, fortunate to just be recipients
1: of that aside from the way that as you talk about it it's almost like um in my whiteboard or in that cloud above my yes. head i'm picturing uh-huh. like this storied place of that white house and how awesome it must have been
0: sure. you're also
1: reinforcing core principles that we've talked about a lot on the show before that culture does start at the top mm-hmm. and that um, we have as much of in the same way that we need to be mentored we also then have an obligation to mentor sure. those who come after us so talk to me about how you now that you've had the bet and, and you I also love that you attribute everybody going back to your school your grade school teachers <laughs> as helping cultivate who you are how sure. do you choose the people that you mentor and how do you approach those relationships it's a good question I
0: a lot of times you know sometimes it's through an organization so like the organizations will you know, will pair you up, obviously, the way that the organizations do. And then a lot of it is also through, um, you know, students who might reach out to me and have want to have conversations, who are very curious, want to have a very similar conversation what we're having now um, about navigating school, should I go to law school, should I, be, you know, so I just never felt like there was much purpose to what I was doing and to anything that I ever accomplished if I wasn't paying it forward in some way. There's no point, there it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like, you know, and I know that, you know, and, and life gets busy, you know, but I always try to to try to take time, you know, especially, you know, you know there were a lot of, um, you know, I, as I mentioned, you know, I wanted to go into foreign affairs because I saw Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell and understanding the, the, the lack of like, this, just like the low, very low number of not just women in national security, but like uh, African-American women in national security it was really important for me to get out and talk to students. You know, I did a lot of that when I was at the State Department in my position, I went to a lot of HBCUs, people who didn't even know what the State Department really did. You, know, you can get at a lot of different schools and they you've heard about the State Department, you don't really know, but it was really important for people to see me in that position because, you know, you cannot, well, you can't be what you cannot be right? And so, um, so I always try to, um, you know, continue to a, always take the coffee and then always keep that open channel of communication with them. And, you know, and also the people that I was also mentoring, I still, I still keep in touch with them you know, they've moved on to a certain part of their career, but that's, and it takes in various forms. There's not just one way that you're mentoring someone, right? There's somebody that there's a sustained relationship, but there's also another way of thinking about it in terms of what am I showing this person that like, I don't consider Condoleezza Rice a mentor but I not I think I've met her <laughs> once and she will not remember this, but it was, you know what I mean? So, but that's not exactly mentoring, but it is like a modeling of sorts where it's, you know there's a different way of, of influencing your life whether it's a sustained contact or something that you do every so often or something that somebody that you see from afar.
1: And recognizing that those people that you see from afar become role models.
0: 100%, 100%. And so, and it's also just not me telling them what to do. That is not, that's not how I also approach that relationship. Tell me more. Everybody is, because everybody is very different, right? So I want to ask questions to get it, to get it, to, to have them start thinking about, for example, their own career path and what makes them tick. Like, yes, I can tell you my path and what's worked for me, but really this process is about figuring out what you want to do and what will work for you. So I also think, because a lot of people will think that just mentoring is like, oh, I'm just going to tell you what I did. You should just go out and do what I did. No, like, so, <laughs> right. You know, right, which is, which is, no, 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 just don't do that. <laughs> right? But, you know, but no, but, but they, uh, but that's sort of partially how I approach it is also is having really like sort of end depth conversation. So I get to know who I'm talking to because it really doesn't serve me or them. Well, if I just tell them what I did, but really get at the heart of a, what makes them tick, what's driving them. You know what they want to do and how they want to get there and then you know mm-hmm.
1: in these relationships to what yes. degree do you also move into sponsorship are those different things to you are they correlated things mentorship versus sponsorship it's interesting
0: so far you know if i if i understand your what you mean by sponsorship um they could, it, I guess it could translate to sponsorship, but as of at this point has not happened so far. So it's, okay. it's not. Yeah. So hope that makes sense.
1: <laughs> it does. And, to, and, yeah. for, and just Everyone in case, because yeah. we're making some assumptions here, I yeah. think of the difference of mentorship is when we help people learn how to grow in yeah. their careers, and then yeah. sponsorship is when. And it's hard to be a sponsor because you have to be in a position, yeah, to sponsor because the sponsor is giving you the opportunity to do it. Of course, yes. And we, and it's hard to do both, which is part of why I'm asking.
0: Yes, I think they're related. Um, I, they're definitely related. But as of now, I'm, you know, it hasn't translated to the sponsorship just yet. But you know
1: watch that space. <laughs> exactly. Cause all those relationships exactly. carry with us over time. A hundred percent. Absolutely. So speaking of relationships, I want to dive into some, a little more personal. Um, mm-hmm. you're married, your husband has a dynamic career. You have, I think a three and a half year old and a baby on the way. Uh-huh. Um, how have you been navigating this balance, not this balance, because I don't think balance is possible. But the drive, the determination that you have, the curiosity that you have, with also um, incorporating parenting into your life. Are you just not sleeping? Uh,
0: well, I would say that I, I will say that there are a number of things I think that you know, and you go back to what. Um, you know, what it was like to sort of also learn from Valerie and Tina and many of the, you know, wonderful women I had the opportunity to work with who were moms at the time, you know, mm-hmm. still moms, but I wasn't, mom. I was not a mom, but everyone around me, I was really fortunate that a, you know, that, you know, President Obama set the tone along with the senior staff in the White House. So by the time I had children of, you know, my own and would, you know, plan to still have a thriving career after I had really wonderful role models of people who were already doing it at very different, various different stages of their life. So there are things that you understand when you're watching people, and there are things that you understand <laughs> when you get into the situation. So, like, so, true. so that's, so it's like, so that's what Valerie used, that, that's, what, that's what, that's what Valerie meant. You can have everything. You just can't have everything at the same time. So, you know, when they're having conversations with you about, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Don't be afraid to ask, you know, to ask for things, whether it's your salary or it's your time with your family or whether it's, you know, a title, like you have to, you know, and a lot of women don't feel very, don't feel comfortable doing that. So a lot of these things that I remember them talking about, like are things that I had carried with me, um, as I approach this, this next chapter, you know <laughs> this next chapter of my life, um, where where that has all helped me to sort of manage. And I also think, and you said this about don't, there isn't any balance, is that also understanding, managing my own expectations. So I don't necessarily think, I mean, there are all these labels, like how do you achieve balance and how do you achieve this? But, but what is it that I can set? What are the expectations that I can set for myself? What can I realistically accomplish and work within that um, and that kind of thing? But I also have to give a lot of credit to a really supportive spouse <laughs> who understands how important my work is for me because my work doesn't feel like work. It never really has. So it's easy for me to get lost in what I'm doing because I love it so much. And I also you know, um, have had a very, very uh, busy <laughs> and very supportive spouse who's able to, you know, make sure, especially during COVID times too. So, you know, we've been fortunate in, in many ways. Um, and one of you know, if you're working from home, you know, we have the opportunity for him to step in too. So supportive spouse, caring the things that I've learned from my mentors um, and getting very little sleep, but <laughs> everybody who's ever worked with me will tell you that I never slept. My family will tell you that I have never slept and so maybe I get it for my dad who only needs like three or four hours of sleep a night. But that's how I function.
1: <laughs> Sounds like one of many gifts that you got one from of him. It. Exactly. And Karen, I love how you described and reminded us that mentors will there are all kinds of things that we're going to learn from our role models and mentors some of them are about the moment that we're in and some of them come like little light bulbs that go on years later and i have a feeling that today's conversation with you is going to be like that for our listeners you have (laughs) shared so much with us it's so fascinating and we're so appreciative of your time so karen thank you so much for joining us today for people who want to find you know what you're up to where can they look they can follow me on twitter at ke rich 22 Fantastic. And I'm sure they will. Karen, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, Pleasure is all mine. Again, Laura and team, everyone, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Uh, Don't forget, follow us on Twitter. Check us out on our podcast. Our full catalog of past shows are there. Many thanks to Patty Hall, my beloved producer, sound engineer, Chris Tukes. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Have a great week, everyone.